Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Hey everybody, my name is Joe. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic, and I'll be your leader for this session, uh, along with Priscilla, who will be uh, another co-leader. In the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry the message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening or attend another session. We ask uh, that those who choose to share step up to this microphone so that uh, those uh, who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. Okay, uh, will you please begin uh, with me and join with me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and to help others achieve sexual sobriety. The guidelines for sharing at this meeting are these. Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk, that is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak with the I, not the we or you. We leave our identities at the door, including politics, religion, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, or other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the SA point of view. Our meetings focus on the SA approach to recovery, so whenever possible we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not SA-approved literature. We avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. When sharing strays, we remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quickly raising our hands. Our panelists for this session are myself and uh, and Priscilla, and we're we're simply going to share a few minutes uh, in advance with you, and then we'll open the microphone for sharing. Um, uh, at this time, I'll I'll turn the panel over to uh, the microphone over to Priscilla. Okay. Hi, my name is Priscilla, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. <laughs> um, 
when I came into SA, I definitely knew my life was uh, unmanageable. There was no doubt in my mind. And I also had figured out that I was had no control over my insanity. And yet when I got into the program and they said I had to admit I was powerless over lust, I'm like, ooh, you know, saying I'm powerless means that I can't control things. And I finally was able to do step one. And then they talked about step two, um, came to believe my power greater than my, myself could restore me to sanity. Well, I'd always believed in a God, but... You know, it's kind of, you know, a, a faraway God, you know, that did nice things, but had, I had no real relationship uh, with a higher power. And I've been sober three months, and I walked outside to go to work, and I heard a bird sing. And I thought, wow, listen to that bird. And I went, oh, you know, I bet they've been singing before. I just never heard it. And that might sound really flip, but it's just was. It was just such an awe, kind of inspiring thing. And through my life, I'd had some uh, similar experiences um, uh, that birds had kind of been um, in my life around um, important events. And so I thought, hmm, maybe there's some connection with a higher power and birds. And um, So that kind of started making sense. But as I was looking through things for last night, I was reminded of my favorite pages. As a matter of fact, if uh, a sponsee calls or someone else in the program calls and is having some issues, I always refer them to um, page 60 through um, pretty much over to 64, 65 in the big book because it talks about my life. It says, um, each person is like an actor who wants to run the show. Well, that was me. Uh, and if people didn't fit in with what I planned out, you know, I got all upset. And they didn't do exactly what I thought or the, you know, the plan got shifted somehow. And when I realized that I didn't have to control, well, no, not have to, that I couldn't control everything um, and that my higher power could, I was kind of like, wow, what a novel thought. And so... Then the third step kind of came along that I made a decision because it seemed to make sense. You know, if I don't and can't control things, maybe a higher power could help me bring things to uh, reality. And what I've found today is when I get really stressed out, like this morning, um, I live only about 15 minutes away, and I slept through my alarm, and I woke up at 20 minutes till 8. And the first session was at 8. Um you know, and before recovery, I would have been so stressed, you know, just rushing around and, you know, gotten here. Well, I was, I did kind of get here like that, but um, <laughs> I have to admit, I am kind of like that. But, you know, it wasn't the angst and anxiety and anger at myself. It was kind of like it was my reality. And it's just a gift to the program that I can take life on today's terms. You know, I just, whatever happens today, happens. You know, I, I can't fix everything. I just have to do the next right thing. Well, I have, and I just will kind of close with this, because I, I I, those of you who are national know I could talk for the entire hour <laughs> and probably not take many breaths in between. But I hate to journal. I really just have to be honest with you. I don't like to journal. I know it's a wonderful thing. 
and my sponsor and my therapist and everybody tell me it's a good thing to do, but I don't very often. But there's a wonderful set of books that um, people in our program have put together, and they're Step Into Action. And it's a great workbook to work through the steps. And I um, started a book study with um, one of the women's groups we have here in town just because we have lots of new women looking to get into recovery. And so I decided it was a good thing for me, you know, good and noble thing for me to, you know, work the steps again. And it's just amazing because as I sat down, we're getting ready to start step two. And this has a great set of questions that I started working on last, well, actually this week. And then I also thought, well, I'm going to start doing the inventory like it's suggested in here. And I came up with some amazing things about what my notion of a higher power was. Um, and it's really after 16 years of sobriety. You know, I kind of knew those things vaguely, but looking at it and putting it down on paper um, made me kind of go, wow, I do have some more things to really look at and help me kind of continue to grow in this program. So through SA and through working the steps all the time, uh, I keep getting to grow and learn new things. Um, and I'm just very grateful because when I think back... Well, I mentioned step two. My first really experience of turning things over to God. I'd been sober about four years. I mean, I'd done it in my head. But my sister was quite ill and was in the hospital, and I'd been spending pretty much 24 hours a day there. And I had agreed a month or so before to speak to a, a, a speaker's meeting. And I got there, and occasionally we'd have one of the treatment facilities bring in folks for a meeting. Well, that night they must have had a whole lot of folks in treatment then because I walked into a room full of about 100 people. And I had literally left the hospital, gone home long enough to take a quick shower. No makeup. I just had on, you know, jeans and a sweatshirt and just kind of like, you know, God, I just, here I am. And I got up in front of that group and I thought, you know, God, I just have to turn it over to you. And it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had you know to be able just to kind of go it's whatever comes out of my mouth is coming from God and so it really does work if you are just now going through the steps I can promise you it works and it works when you keep going back through the steps so um, I'll hush and turn it over to Joe thanks thanks Priscilla Okay, I don't know whether I introduced the topic of the session oh. as <laughs> at all, but uh, it is stop playing God, and uh, you know, I, for me, it's easiest. And, and I'll introduce myself again. I'm sorry, my name is Joe, great for recovering sexaholic, and uh, by the grace of God in this fellowship, I've been able to uh, uh, be sober one day at a time for the last five and a half years, and for that, I'll, I'll never be sufficiently thankful. Um, the fact that I've been coming to SA for 15 and a half years would give you some idea that, that I have some experience in trying to play God both uh, prior to getting into recovery and during the course of my recovery journey. So for me, um, I guess uh, I like to draw word pictures a lot of times. It helps me. And so it's rather than saying, what does it mean to play God? I like to say, what does it look like to play God? That's that's the experiential aspect. And um 
uh, I thought of, uh, of an epitaph that I'd heard before that I think is really apropos, and, and I'll read it. It's found in an old uh, Scottish graveyard in Aberdeen, Scotland. It reads, Here lies Martin Elgin Broad. Have mercy on my soul, Lord God, as I would do if I were God and you were Martin Elderrod. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, we, we chuckle at that because uh, somehow in the human condition we find that um, we find ourselves making God uh, nastier than ourselves. I don't know why that is. And kind of harken back to uh, uh, in the story of, of Adam and Eve, ultimately their actions were brought about as a result of them feeling like that God somehow was holding out on them. You know, that there's, there is a uh, tendency through our personal experience, I guess, and then to some degree perhaps through uh, our encounters with religion to feel like that, uh, that uh, we blame God to the extent that we uh, acknowledge his power, then also then because we uh, have certain expectations that he do things to, you know, the way we want them to, then ultimately we find ourselves in an adversarial role. Uh, but what, is it, what does that look like? Well, for me, as uh, in my uh, addictive behavior, I guess it had two things that I remember the most. Uh, one was that I felt like I had supernatural powers, that one of which was being invisible. You know, as I would uh, found myself routinely going into adult bookstores, you know, I, I never had any idea that anyone saw me do that. And as I would see people that I knew, because I did this quite often, uh, uh, I would occasionally see people that I knew, upstanding people that I would find doing the same thing. And and yet it never occurred to me that that uh, that I wasn't <coughs> invisible, and that uh, that actually. Uh, you know, many of the things that I did in my in my fantasy in my head, I actually was invisible. Um, the other thing that I, I remember is that um, in my uh, in my disease, playing God looked to me like calling out for justice. What I really, really wanted was justice. I wanted to see Justin. I wanted to see people get what they deserve. And uh, one of my behaviors, I've, I've spent 40 years, uh, 30 years, picking up prostitutes and, and spending a great deal of time in adult bookstores and cruising around looking for prostitutes. Kind of took on a, a meaning, a life of its own. Uh, I found myself doing that uh, hours at a time, and uh, I feel. Uh, so thankful that in large measure I have uh, uh, I've missed the uh, the internet uh, pornography age, uh, and I thank God for that in so many ways. But I can identify with it in that I spent hours and hours in my car cruising around, and I wouldn't I would see prostitutes and not pick them up because that would be the end of cruising around. You know that over the hill there was the one that I was really looking for. But as I sat in my car. Uh, uh, my mind tended to ponder uh, all of the evil in the world and all of the need for justice. And, and I remember a specific occasion, in specific, when I, uh, I saw a person that I knew that I, that I knew that that person had done something that was, you know, it really hurt a friend of mine. And I saw him pick up a prostitute. There he was, you know, this fine, upstanding person doing the exact same thing I was doing. And 
for about six months, as I cruised around, I devised this blackmail plan. And, you know, and I just worked that thing down to the detail, and I knew exactly how I was going to execute this, this process of extracting the justice that God just wouldn't mete out. You know, that was, <laughs> that was, um, that was um, the way I played God those in, in my disease, was demanding justice and thinking I uh, was invisible. As I entered recovery, I unfortunately have found uh, equal opportunities to play uh, to play God in in my course of uh, of recovery. I wanted to read uh, uh, from something that Bill Wilson said um, uh, about uh, finding himself at the first step. He says uh, in Bill's story, he said, "No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found." In that bitter morass of self-pity, I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master, uh, you know. And and I, I wanted to, when I read that, thinking about how uh, the realization in step one that I was not God, it was still couched in self-pity, as it was, uh, as Bill described. And part of the reason that I was in self-pity when I finally came to realize that lust was my master and and it was no longer a friendly master, uh, as it as it had been. It didn't work anymore for me. Uh, but that self pity, I think, was still came out of that core uh, of believing that there was no one to pity me, uh, and no power to pity me. But the the power is the operative word, and and the at the first step. Um, we realize that we're powerless. And, and in, in our topical part in step two and three, uh, step two says that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. For me, there's a great distinction uh, uh, mentioned about uh, religion and core beliefs. That If, if real religion might be defined as... as a set of beliefs that's perhaps generally shared by a group that has to do with the nature and origin of things and has a moral code and uh, uh, associated with it. And and uh, in, in my case, I had such a thing as that. Uh, uh, and when I came to step two and it said, you know, uh, the way, the, the path to recovery is came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Well, uh, I, I had hope as I came to SA. I saw changes in other people, but all of a sudden I was very detached from from my sense of a higher power. Uh, felt more detached than I ever had, and and it really was because for me, uh, step two would have needed to look more like that I came to believe in a power that would restore me. In other words, I had to get that obligation in there so that once again God owed me something. Uh, if I did certain things, then I would get certain results. And now I was confronted with the fact that I was totally powerless, totally helpless, and I could see that other people that I had to admit uh, had been through the same things I had been through were in a different place. And just how could I tap into that power? So the sense of tapping into the power was the thing that shifted me in my thinking and in my as I uh, began to work the steps uh, away from um, uh, 
defining the potential of God as being something that was negotiated between me and him. (laughs) And so in the the form of an individual person, a person like me, I said, I I want what you've got. How did you get it? Um, I found myself saying those same words ten years later to a friend that I had in the program that I had also knew had been, you know, uh, farting around for lack of a better term <laughs> in the program for about 10 years as I had and yet all of us you know yet something had changed with him and uh, and so uh, uh, for those of you that, that the words keep coming back have a strong meaning to as they do to me I kept coming back during all that time even though I still at every turn simply wanted to negotiate a peaceful settlement with God that was my you know that was my modus operandi, and it continues to be. Except I'm more aware of that today. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, as for me, uh, uh, that um, surrender, willingness, and surrender as a as a perpetual mantra are the things that, in my experience in recovery, have moved me from one step to the next. And, uh, you know, step two makes that clear statement about uh, coming to believe uh, in a power greater than ourselves. And step three, about making a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. And most of us are very familiar with the third step prayer. But, uh, uh, you know, if you read the seventh step prayer, uh, it really reads just like the third step one. You know, we're just back at it again, asking God to... uh, 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 you know, to yield ourselves uh, to His will and to be open to do His will. Um, my time in recovery has been a, a time of learning and change, and uh, and a time that uh, you know I'm so ever so grateful for. First person I met when I came into when I fell in face forward into my first meeting in SA was was Harvey, and. Uh, uh, and as Harvey uh, spoke last night, I was reflecting on, I've known Harvey now for 15 years, and he says that everybody knows what he's going to say. Uh, at the core of the message, that's very, very true. And yet, uh, over time, what surrender to God's will has meant to Harvey, uh, I can see a, a lot of change in Harvey over that period of time. And I see a lot of change in my outlook. That I, Today, I feel like I'm more... Um, I'm more open to change. That word change, change, willingness, and surrender. Those are the things that uh, uh, that if I if I keep those in the forefront, if I return to those things, then uh, uh, you know I'm less likely uh, to be playing God in my program today. So that's uh, that's my experience, strength, and hope, and. Uh, uh, we want to save as much time as possible for all of you guys. We've got a big crowd, so uh, anyone who would like to share, come to the podium and <coughs> be sure and and give your uh, name before you speak. I first of all, I'm still a sexaholic, and I I know that we've just opened it up for y'all to share, but. But and uh, <laughs> uh, I was just thinking of something I read last night in here. It was in the third step, and it said that peace was the direct result of a life where we did not have to be in charge anymore. 
brooding, fretting, resenting, and lusting are replaced with a simple responsibility to seek, listen, and follow. And that just really struck with me because my family and, and I tended to kind of brood and worry. And, and when I'm willing to turn my life over to God, I can seek my higher power. I can listen to what my higher power has to say and, and then follow. And it's, it's amazing. To our surprise and delight, we learned daily surrender to a higher power not only relieved the tyranny of sexualism, it manifested in all aspects of our lives. So, thanks for letting me add that little bit. Hi, my name is Eric, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. When I came to SA ten and a half years ago, I hated God. I believed in God, but I hated God because I, I saw this supreme being as a completely untrustworthy being. Uh, who else would give me the strange and weird desires that I have and then put me in a world in which they were not okay? And, and I'd thought about that for years, and I just absolutely hated that concept, wanted nothing to do with God. Uh, but I had reached a point where I had no other options. I I was at a point where I would be dead within months if I continued doing the things I was doing, and uh, and so I came to SA and I said I give up. I, I I just I can't do this on my own. My best thinking has brought me here. So what do I do about that? And the people in SA told me, well, first you have to stop masturbating. And I said, oh, right. I, that, I've done that all my life. And. Uh, and then they said, and then you got to uh, go into these steps and start looking at these steps. And I had a lot of trouble with that, but uh, what I'd been doing didn't work, so I started doing it. My wife had left me. I was sitting in uh, our dream house that we had designed and built together and, uh, and going through a very hard time. The first three weeks were, uh, uh, were like drug withdrawal from stopping the masturbation and all the drugs that my body creates. And uh, I went through the same kind of symptoms that any drug addict does in trying to withdraw from their, from their drugs. And, and it took me a few weeks to get clear of those physical effects. And then the emotional and spiritual effects started coming in. And, uh, and it was one of the hardest times in my life. And there was a time in this, this was probably about a month later, that I was sitting on the back porch of my house and our house was in a, in a wetlands area down in central Florida. And from the back porch, we looked out on wilderness. And it was a beautiful place to sit. And, uh, and I was sitting there on that front porch, on that back porch, just feeling absolutely terrible with myself. And, uh, and, and I looked around, and I saw this uh, covey of quail go trotting across the backyard. <laughs> uh, mother and father and then about five or six little uh, chicks. And they just go flitting across the yard and I looked at that and I said how beautiful how marvelous and and here I am this uh, this piece of trash sitting on the porch and then I watched a couple of cardinals flit through the trees the the red and the little chip chip sound that they make and uh, and, and again the contrast just threw me for a loop 
And I started looking, really looking at the world around me. And I looked at the trees and the individual shapes of the leaves. And I started looking down at the grass at my feet. And the and the I could see the way the edges of the grass were cut by the lawnmower and ragged edges. And uh, and and I'm looking at that and I'm saying, even this is beautiful. Even these cut grass, every blade is different, and they're all shaped marvelously. And here I am, this this pile of dung sitting on the porch that uh, I have absolutely no worth at all. And as I'm looking at the grass, this bug starts crawling across the grass, and this was one of those really big, ugly bugs. This thing, this thing was probably about an inch and a half across when you included its legs, and the legs were these knobbled, knobbly jointed things that kind of went all over the place, and yet this bug was able to make its way across these grass blades, and each foot would move and find a place, and the bug just kind of confidently moved across the grass, and I'm looking at the beauty of this big, ugly bug, and it suddenly dawned on me, how could the entire world be so beautiful and me not be part of it? And, uh, and it, it dawned on me that maybe I could trust God after all, that, uh, that maybe I was part of the world that he had made, and that maybe the things I was going through really were for good. And uh, and since then, I've, I've really taken to heart this idea of quit playing God, to trust in Him, and to, uh, to to do the things that God would have me do. And it comes down to very concrete things today. I when I start my work day in the morning, I work at home. I work for myself. And when I start my work day, uh, I look at the list of seven or eight things that I've got to do, and I stop and I pray and I ask God, what do I do? And whatever sense I get, that's the thing that I pick up to do. Even though my own thought might be that this other thing is more urgent, I'll pick up what it is that my sense is that God would have me to do. And when I finish that, I have a sense of accomplishment. And I turn to the remaining nine or ten things, because a couple more have come in during the hour I was working on that. And, uh, and, and I once again, I ask, what do I do next? And so long as I do that through the day, so long as I take every moment to let God play God and for me to be surrendered to his will. My recovery works super well. My life works super well. And things happen around me in ways that I can't explain. And, uh, and I become that ugly bug walking through the grass. <laughs> and uh, I'm part of God's world instead of trying to do it myself. Well, thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Lisa, sexaholic. Um, when I came into SA and read through the steps, my first inclination was steps three, two and three are going to be very easy for me. I had always been in church and always been a very religious person and um, had very much been you know, serving and that kind of thing in my particular practice. So I'm thinking, okay, cool, I can do this. Um, I shared my first step at the meeting and pretty much half the people in the room that shared about it were like, you know, Lisa, you better be careful. Steps two and three are going to be very difficult for you. And um, I was not pleased to hear that and um, set out to prove them wrong. And sure enough, steps two and three kicked me in the rear end um, and were very difficult. And most of the time when I find myself struggling with something now, it's that I've got to go back and figure out what it is that I'm trying to play God in or... Um, in my mind, a lot of what I was doing was, you know, 
for me, God is great, God is good, God will do wonderful things for everyone else. Um, and when I you know, explained this hypothesis to my sponsor, it was one of those first times when you know, the question from my sponsor stuck in my head and um, God uses it continually. Of, you know, she said, well, what makes you so special that it doesn't apply? I really thought we could just move on and go on, but she was like, no, write it down. Um, we're going to keep talking about this. And so I'm very thankful for that question because it keeps coming up. And even um, you know, as I continue in my recovery process, when things come up and I figure out, you know, well, why am I still single? Why am I blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, very much a lot of times what I have to do is, you know, when I start thinking, well, God is good, but just not for me. Um, you know, well, what makes me so special that that doesn't apply? And um, really start having to think and write through that. And that really helps me to figure out that, okay, here you go. I'm done. Um, so thanks for letting me share. <laughs> My name is David F. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, I really relate to what was just said about, you know, God being good for everybody else, but not necessarily for me. I, I uh, too, come from a very religious background, active in that religion, and, and, and can say I've seen miracles, all sorts of miracles. But I was seeing them in everybody else's lives and not my own. And it, so, so I began to lose hope a little bit. And... And step two is really hard for me. Um, in, in the big book, in the chapter We Agnostics, on page 46, it says, We found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even, even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results. And I had to change that around a little bit. As soon as I was willing to lay aside my prejudice and unbelief, and express a willingness to let God do things for me, I began to get results. And the form that took for me is, um, there's an old timer in our meetings that, that very often talks about how his sponsor had him repeat some ridiculous time, number of times a day, God help me, I'm powerless. And he had to repeat that, you know, I don't remember whether it was a thousand times a day, something ridiculous. And and I wasn't willing to do that. No, I don't have to do that. I believe in God, you know. But but finally, I said, you know, maybe there's something to do that. And um, and kind of my variation on that theme was, whenever a thought would come into my head, I would pray and I would say, I'm powerless over this thought. Please help me. And then I finally got to the word. I would just say, help. <laughs> and and a funny thing happened was the thoughts would go away. And I could never do that before. And then, aha, I could never do that. When I let God do it, it worked. And, uh, and so that real cause and effect helped break down my prejudices against being willing to let God help me and um, and just another thing I've learned about letting God be in charge, um, I learned through experiences, through real things that happen in my life, much better than through what somebody tells me because I'm stubborn that way. Um, I had a day when 
I was I had to be in two places at once. Okay. I had to be there. There was no other choice, right? <laughs> There's always a choice. But I I had something going on with, with a client at work and then something going on with um, something related to recovery and I was supposed to be in both places and I felt responsibility for both and, and I was I was freaking out. I said, How do I do this? What do I do? What do I do? And finally I just stopped and I said, God, help me to be where you want me to be today. Then my phone rang. And this issue took care of itself. I thought, wow. How does that work? And then I went to where I was supposed to be and I walked into the room and there was there was a great friend of mine who I hadn't seen in 15 years sitting in the room. I said, wow. If I just let God be in charge, life is great. <laughs> and this is the truth. It's not always that spectacular. But that's what it took for me to learn that lesson. But the, when I say that prayer, God, help me be where you want me to be today. He does. And I'm grateful for that. I'm still Joe, still a sexaholic. Hi, Joe. And uh, one of the things that I had uh, said before about uh, about my time in, in SA, um, uh, you may I mentioned what does this look like, and I really didn't describe what it looked like to be trying to play God in recovery. Uh, and one of the things that it looked like for me was that uh, during the course of my my time in SA, I had five sponsors. That, uh, and uh, you know the changes in my, who my sponsor was have occurred for a variety of different reasons but as most of you that are chuckling might suspect the overwhelming reason tended to be my reluctance to include that person uh, in, uh, uh, in my recovery they were always voluntarily willing to assist and share their experience, strength and hope but that's one of the, th- way, the things that uh, uh, that I knew uh, uh, instinctively was that I was, uh, you know, still trying to be self-reliant and do it myself, and uh, so uh, it it played out in the in the sort of way that I said, "How many sponsors do I really need to go go through, you know, uh, uh, before I'm willing to to take their instructions, which were really, which were really not, uh, uh, you know." I, I, they were too simple for me. <laughs> Call me, you know. Yeah. I had spent most of my thinking about what would redeem me as self-redemption. I mean, I had the idea that, again, my mental picture was me, you know, leaping in front of the railroad track and pitching the child out of the way right before the <coughs> locomotive hit me and somehow redeeming myself. And So I didn't really, I wasn't there with, Call me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this other thing in mind. So uh, uh, it's a, it's amazing how uh, how far afield we can be. Uh, I just wanted to share that since I didn't I didn't put it in the specific term that that's what uh, that was at, at the core of my failing to uh, uh, to really find what I was looking for was that it was right in front of me and I just wouldn't uh, I wouldn't allow it. Hi, I'm Mike, a grateful recovering sexaholic and a very happy sexaholic. 
And I am glad to be here. I'm glad for this topic because it reminded me of when I first came in this program. Uh, I was on a nine-month program. I'm going to be healed in nine months. I'm not going to need a sponsor. I'm going to get the tools. I'm going to be healed. I'm going to be cured. I'm going to go be happy, joyous, and free. That didn't work at first because my therapist was my... I found out was real and I realized he was my first sponsor not knowing it because I've never felt freer when I told him my story he gave me 45 minutes and when we got through it was an hour and a half almost two hours when I dumped my life my pain and my shame on him then I got invited by him or he demanded if I wanted to see him again I had to go to a meeting greatest blessing ever happened to me because I finally recognized he meant business I went to a meeting and the guy who gave me an orientation I thought there's no way I qualify for this program because he is so sick <laughs> why is he walking the streets and he's not in prison for his story and found out later he had served time in prison and through this program I found out I don't need to be right in fact many times I'm wrong and I can accept that and when I use and invoke the third step prayer where it says God I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt there's a saying in the white book surrender my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand it and what I've had to do is change that and God has helped me understand this is not surrender my life obey the searchlight of the spirit and the sunlight of the spirit of God and do thy will take the actions move my feet do what he tells me to do. Had an experience early on being in a business meeting with about 25 people. I was right, the rest of the people were wrong. We voted. Yes, 24, no, one, and that was me. I voted against them because I knew I was right. I was really angry. I was resentful. I had enough sense not to make a scene. So I got up, walked out, went out, called my sponsor, didn't answer the phone. Man, that ticked me off. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I said the third step prayer. Calmness came over and said, the will of God took over the meeting. And you're wrong, Mike. Ever since then, a business meeting or meetings where people go against what I feel is right, they're doing what they think is right. And if, we, and if I let God into my life, I'm better off. And I'm like Joe. I had a couple sponsors that I wanted to run things past and so they would agree with me. And I couldn't find one that wouldn't let me off the hook about doing the steps. And working the steps, and I'm glad you mentioned about the steps, because if, it's, if it wasn't for the steps, I would not be here, 
I would not have God guide me and direct me in my life. And after the nine months were up, I working with a sponsor, and so I'm, I worked on a nine-year program. <laughs> and as soon as that nine years was up, I they asked me what I was going to do next, what kind of program I'm going to go on next. And I said, what do you suggest? And they told me 18 years. And I said, well, okay. So I keep coming back because this program has actually saved my life. I never thought I would feel as good as I do today with my wife, my family. I love my wife. We just celebrated 37 years of marriage together. And I love her more today than I did when I first met her or married her or even two years ago. I love being with her, whereas I hated to even come home. I look forward to being home and being with her. One last thing. God is doing for me what I could not do for myself. One of the things I found that I'm a miracle, we're all miracles because we walk through these doors of SA. And when we keep coming back, there's a spirit here that helps me want to be a better person. And I know that's God. Also working the steps I found, and I have forgiven myself because God has forgiven me for some of the actions that I have done. And when I can recognize that God loves me as bad as I've been, the things that I've done, and still care for me and want me to be a better person, I'm grateful for that and eternally grateful that God loves me. And I feel that inside me. And you're part of the reason why I do. So keep coming back and obey that spirit that tells you to do the right thing. Because it's like walking up a mountainside. We can walk on the cliff side or we can walk on the safe side. I walk sometimes in the middle because I still want to be right. Sometimes I walk on the edge because somebody's said something or told me something that doesn't agree with me. And when I get on the right side of the mountainside or the safe side where God is, I'm much happier. I'm much freer. And and also one last thing, service. Do a lot of service in your fellowship. One of the things that bothers hurts me the most is when we change service of position, it's the same people over and over again. And we ask people to volunteer that have never volunteered and they don't want to raise their hand. There are so many rich blessings from God when you do. I cannot tell you what God has given to me because of it. And uh, if you get turned away and say you can't do a service position or get fired from it like I have, uh, find something else to do. And Thank you for this topic. And may we all find that inner spirit and the actions that follow it. Thanks.
My name is Dave. I'm powerless over lust. Actually, my sponsor told me to introduce myself as a sexaholic rather than powerless over lust. So, I'm Dave. I'm a sexaholic. <laughs> Trying to be obedient. It's a great struggle for me. I uh, have really struggled uh, sitting here in this meeting listening and I'm thinking that I really have struggled a lot with the second and third step without necessarily realizing it. I'm one of these folks who goes to church a lot and prays a lot and talks about God a lot all over the place and doesn't have any clue how to find any contact with a power sufficient to deliver me from my compulsions to lust and pornography and masturbation. And I think that led me to uh, really doubt uh, whether there is a power great enough. And... I tried to find that power through S.A., to have S.A. be that power, because clearly I'm confused about God and higher power and that kind of connection. And for several years, that didn't work. I was the perennial S.A. failure and uh, left with a lot of doubt. You know, could this work for me? And this past summer, I was sitting in a meeting and it occurred to me that maybe uh, my problem was that I just didn't have enough of a therapeutic dose of SA. I got to thinking about medication and how, you know, the medication doesn't work without a therapeutic dose. And then I just wasn't really getting enough SA. I wasn't showing up for enough meetings, showing up on time, sticking around till the meeting was over, reading enough literature. I was kind of dabbling in those things. And that what I needed was to get a sufficient dose of SA to, to overcome my affliction. And so I made a commitment at that time to try to make it, not to try, just to make it my top priority every day. And I like that because it's simple. I understand it. Every day I can ask myself, well, Dave, what are you doing today? You know, I can just look and see what am I doing? Not how do I feel today? What am I doing? Who am I calling? What am I doing when I wake up in the morning? And, uh, that has been my form, I think, of a third step of turning my will and my life over is simply every day having my top priority be essay recovery and let everything else go to hell in a bucket. I don't need to do anything else or accomplish anything else or be anything else. None of it. I just don't need to do any of it. If, if I do anything else, that's a bonus. But today, it's real easy to do my top priority because I woke up here this morning and I'm glad about that. Thanks. My name is John, and I'm a sexaholic. Uh, Just to preface uh, what I'm going to say, when my daughters used to be up in their room playing the music a little too loud, I would go up there and ignore the the knock rule, just open the door and say, what are you two up to? Why have you got the music playing so loud? What are you trying to hide? few days later they'd be up there and it'd be real quiet there again ignoring the knock rule I'd just open the door how come it's so quiet in here what are you kids up to you know when I realized that I had to turn my life and my will over to the care of God as I understood him I judged him by me 
I was punitive and judgmental. Therefore, I thought God was punitive and judgmental. And I said, you know, how can I possibly, you know, turn anything over to him? Um, along the way, through different people, they reinforced in me that I had dignity, that I had value, that I had worth, that God was loving, forgiving, compassionate, understanding, patient, all the things I never was. And as Mike uh, uh, referred, made a, a mention of that, it takes time. You know, when I came to this program, I was in my 50s. And it took that much time to warp my mind and to mold me and form me into the depraved person I was. Nine days, nine weeks, nine months, nine years didn't do it. I was about my 10th or 11th year before the cobwebs, I could notice they had disappeared. They were starting to dissipate. And I was making some sense to myself. You know, I wasn't that punitive, judgmental person. I cared about people. And I wanted to help other people. And now that's the first thing I say to my sponsees. You have value. You have worth. You have dignity. And the loving God of this program has patience, kindness, gentleness, understanding, forgiveness. Take time to get to know him. Thank you. Uh, my name is Don. I'm a sexaholic from uh, San Antonio. Uh, my new God has gifted me with sobriety in July of '03, and I say my new God because I believe that, uh, for what I've watched, uh, that there is a tremendous advantage. Uh, it appears to me on the We Agnostics chapter of uh, the Big Book. I uh, uh, I believe that there's uh, there's an advantage coming in with. Uh, hardly any God at all, uh, to not have to unlearn a God that I had learned uh, 12 years of uh, overly learning and being a slow but total learner, I learned that, uh, there's a lady that shared this, everything that I get is from a CD, and when it applies to me, uh, God loves me and I'm going to hell. <laughs> And that was everything that I learned. That was the I could not be good enough to not go to hell. And a person like me will take that to the extreme. Then, if I uh, if I can't be good enough to not go to hell, man, I'm going to be really not good. I'm going to be. Uh, you don't want to be just a little bit not good. You want to be as good at not good as you can be. And uh, I just did. Uh, the third step uh, for my fourth time in six years and boy this popped me in the head uh, like it had not ever before that uh, we finished on our knees with uh, 
<clears throat> with the third step prayer. And then I was told to, to open up my big book and to write on the inside cover, Dear Don, you will never ever get your way again. Love God. <laughs> and uh, then P.S. If you follow the directions in this book, you will have a, a very, very uh, plentiful life. And man, did that slap me in the head. Uh, and then the last thing uh, I wanted to say was uh, a friend of mine in this program from Portland that calls, we, we talk almost every day, across the country. <clears throat> and uh, so I met him at this convention here in Nashville a year ago. Only my second time of seeing him, but uh, we sat together and uh, I put everything uh, behind my sobriety. My wife, my children, my job, my church. I didn't say my God, I said my church, and, and many, many other things. But if I have a threat to my sobriety, <clears throat> it is what uh, several people have said that. Uh, uh, we decided that we were the Wright brothers. I'm Orville and he's Wilbur. And uh, I have reserved the right that I'm right. And when uh, when Mike was saying one out of uh, 25, uh, you, you can be right if you agree with me. But uh, And I can out-shout you, I can out-yell you, I can out-curse you to be right. Uh, so I, that is my jeopardy, is, uh, is, uh, is Orville here, Orville Wright. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Steve, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Okay. And I'm not God. Uh, when I kids were little, they uh, thought I was really something because they put me on a pedestal and thought I never made mistakes and uh, all this stuff. And they'd never seen me in my pretty bad life. And uh, so uh, when I fail, when I fail, they fail with me. And uh, it took them really hurt. And that was the first time I fell. Then I fell and fell and fell and fell and fell. And uh, I was thinking about some of different ones of what they said here, and I listened close. I had a guy in uh, one of the groups that said that if I listen close, God will speak to you through these people. And I said, huh? Yeah, wait a minute. Huh? These people? And I, he said, yes. Something you need. Somewhere in a week or two before that or something, they'll say what it's happened to them, and they'll tell you how they got out of it. And if you'll be just listening, and don't get taken turning people off because of whatever, just take and listen, you'll, you'll hear what you're going to need in the next two weeks. And I, wow. And I've heard that happen so many times. It's helped me. And one day somebody said something about uh, they go to God every morning and ask Him to take and help them, not to take and lust or whatever the, the difficulties they're having. And in the Daily Reflections is an A prayer meditation book I took and read people, places, and things. And I'm addicted to everything. So uh, people, places, and things. That's pretty good. Help me not to lust for people, places, and things. That covers it all. Pretty well all. And that's a real short prayer for me. And I had a few other things that's going on with me and character defects or whatever's right going on there now. And I started that and I, you know, I got a lot better. It took about two weeks to kick in. But after about two weeks, you know, my 
by asking God to stop help help me stop fantasizing, help me stop lusting, help me stop doing it. During the day it got shorter, less number, less number, and less number. And I went for for several months without a lust thought for person in my mind. And that's because I just keep doing it over and over and over. And uh, so I just I thank God that somebody was willing to tell me this. And uh, there was a few other things that I was thinking before I come up here and uh, about God. And uh, like I say, I'm not Him. And uh, I have to remember that. But I had a bunch of different other gods. I thought I was a real good person, you know. Well, let's say that. Uh, I go to church, went to church and all this, but uh, as I look back, I was a professional hypocrite because I was talking the right talk there and doing my own thing on the other when I walked out the door. And uh, by the way, I don't mind telling my last name, but I just won't tell it over the mic. If you want to know my last name and where I'm from, that's fine. If you want my telephone number, that's fine. And uh, this anonymity bit is okay. But once you get a little sobriety, it's good to take and let somebody know how to get a hold of you. I can't come into Memphis and say I want to hear, I want to talk to Scott or Jim or Joan, and uh, I don't know where he lives. He just, uh, I just want to. That's who I want to talk to. Okay. Well, and uh, or even put his last initial in there. And uh, but as I start to say about the the uh, thank you, I lost it. Oh, I had many different gods, and uh, I didn't think so, but I did. I had a god of lust because I remember cruising the streets and taking and uh, praying to him. I didn't think it was praying to him at that time, but I was. I would take and drive down the street lusting like a crazy, and I said, "Oh God!" Or, and I, I just say, "Oh, let me see somebody to." I didn't say God at the time. Oh, let me see some girl to look at because I was addicted to female bodies, and I could lust after. And you know, after I looked back, that's what I was praying to. My God, I'm lost. So I've had a lot of other gods too. And food was one of God, my gods, and and alcohol is one of my gods, and all this stuff. And uh, every one of them was taking the place of the real God. And uh, I'm just glad that I can do step one, two, and three on a regular basis every day. And I do it on my character defects, as I do it on everything. And uh, it makes a lot of difference in my life. And uh, after I'd been sober for a while, I've, I've been sober since uh, December 14th of uh, 2002. And after I'd been sober for a while, I said something at a regional comedian meeting about uh, uh, the character defects. And I said I'd give them up and go through them because uh, that's what a dry drunk in a, a, an essay is, is one that don't work his character defects. That's where I was. I didn't work my character defects, and I was a dry drunk. And I've seen my dry drunks and alcohol, but you know I didn't put it two and two together and get it me. And one of the guys afterwards had about 15 years of sobriety. He up and says, uh, "You know, I'm a dry drunk in essay." And thanks for pointing it out. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe God used me to say something. Maybe she said something. Maybe he said something, or somebody else said something. But don't turn them off just because their hair is the wrong color. They're they're a female instead of a male or whatever it is, just listen. And if they've got if they've got a day more sobriety than you are, they've got more sobriety than you. <laughs> so, uh, and I had one guy tell me last night, and I really enjoyed that was uh, about sobriety. Uh, you know who's got the longest sobriety in here today? 
first one who woke up. <laughs> Thanks to you all for participating. Uh, you know, one of the things before we close is to say that uh, uh, the, the theme of the conference is the fellowship of the Spirit. And certainly as we uh, talk about Stop Playing God, that's, that's an individual thing. Uh, uh, and spirituality are the, winds up being uh, best defined in that uh, uh, that statement says to thine own self be true that our enlightened self-interest that we come to understand um, it's important to realize that there's a fellowship uh, of recovery and a program of recovery and the 12 steps is the program of recovery the fellowship gives us uh, many many benefits and the fellowship of the spirit uh, to me, I said, what does that look like? And, and I think about some of the crazy things that I did acting out are nothing compared to some of the crazy things that I have done uh, to seek recovery. I, I, uh, um, I re- in specific, I remember that um, I had made a commitment that I would wear uh, underwear when I went to sleep, you know, that, that instead of sleeping naked. And my enlightened self-interest told me that that would be a, a good thing to do. So... Uh, I committed to do that to uh, uh, someone in the program, and as I uh, spent my first night uh, with my underwear in various degrees of on, as I tried to define what it was, what real on really was, that's kind of like is, is, you know, it occurred to me in the middle of this exercise that it was just me, God, and that, you know, what was I doing? You know, I was trying to negotiate my that definition to God. Um, Today, what does that have to do with the fellowship of the Spirit? The the number of crazy things that I know the 600 people that are gathered here today are doing in an effort uh, completely out of their character uh, to maintain their conscious contact with God. That's the power of the fellowship and the power that we have to share. Uh, Before we close, let's let's, uh, all stand and and we'll uh, uh, recite the third step prayer. And uh, if you're not... Uh, if you don't have it memorized, all I can do is read it, guys. <laughs> okay. I'll re- Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.